Hello and welcome to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football. In Portugal, you listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good, man. I think, well, first of all, just this was a, for me, and without having a sort of a big free get like derby um, and the weekend, this was an all-time classic weekend of football. I know we're going to get stuck into it in a second, but in Portuguese football, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I, I don't know if you can hear, but I've been fighting a uh, fighting a cold. I thought I was, I felt terrible yesterday, but most of today I thought I thought it was over the worst of it, maybe getting better. But then the last hour I've been sitting down, making my notes, watching the highlights, and it's wiped me out. There's been so much going, <laughs> so many refereeing decisions, and oh, I don't know. It's saying about that. It's just completely not for six. So sorry if I'm not a hundred percent for this one, but um, it was a lot to take in, a lot to digest. Mate, so, this this league can take it out of you. It's a labour of love, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, as Barney says, um, a massive week in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, so many talking points to discuss. Uh, it could be a jam-packed show, so stick with us. We're going to try and cover uh, as much of it as we can. Before we get stuck into the league, um, we should just round up, of course, what happened in Europe last week. We were waiting to see how Porto would get on against Inter Milan. We were discussing Barney about how they might struggle without the likes of Galena, without the likes of uh, Otavio. And then, of course, what does Constancel do? He puts them all back into the starting eleven. Um, you said it on uh, Uncle Sharma's podcast about uh, mind games. Sergio Constancel putting doubt in people's minds that they were going to start. Of course, they were going to start. But ultimately, they, they didn't have quite the effect they wanted. Uh, Porto losing 1-0 to Inter Milan. I don't know what you think about that, Barney. I, it's the result that I predicted. And I think it's about the worst result that they can get away with because obviously with the second they're being in the Dragao, um, with the fans behind them, with Galena and Otavio back to full fitness, they'll be in a much better position to go out and try and uh, and win the game in the second leg. Yeah, no, I think they, you know, they, they might have been able to come with something a bit more had they had scored um, and they perhaps missed a couple of charts they should have maybe taken. Um, but, you know, with the, the fact that the way goal rule is not in play, you know, these sort of first leg ties... 1-0 is, is a great result, I think, away from home. You know, that, that that sort of season good said. So they're, they're still in it, certainly, and they've got a good opportunity. Yeah, definitely. As you say, second leg, a big opportunity to uh, overturn uh, a small deficit and, and get the win. So definitely keep an eye out for that game. Well, better news, of course, for Sporting, who managed to put in a convincing performance in the second leg of their Europa League tie against Michelin. They drew 1-1 in the first leg. But it was a comprehensive 4-1 victory in the second leg, which sees them comfortably through. Uh, unfortunately for Braga, they needed a miracle to overcome a 4-0 deficit against Fiorentina in the Europe Conference League. But despite giving us hope with two first-half goals, ended up losing 3-2 on the night and crashed out of the Conference League 7-2 on aggregate. So disappointment for Braga, uh, good news for Sporting. And of course, we also look forward to uh, Benfica's second leg in the Champions League against Club Bruges. Uh, but they have a 2-0 advantage from the first leg. So we're confident that Benfica will make it through to the round of 16 in the Champions League. Well, look, Barney, let's get stuck straight into league football from this weekend. And we are going to have to start with Porto because there was a huge upset at the Dragao as they lost 2-1 at home to Gilles Vicente, uh, in a game where they ended the in a match where they ended the game with nine men on the field. And I think we just have to cut to the chase with this game, this was all about two big decisions. The first, João Mario receiving a red card with the game at 1-1 for a handball just outside the box. And the second, a penalty awarded to Gil Vicente uh, when Uribe was deemed to have fouled a Gil Vicente player inside the box. And that, of course, gave Gil Vicente the 2-1 lead. I will let you kick off with both these decisions. I want to get your opinion uh, on the handball red card and, then, of course, the penalty. I feel like both of these decisions were because of VAR, right? And and by that, I mean, it's, it's the unfortunate situation that VAR brings where the on-field referee's logic and judgment was probably correct, but it was undermined by that VAR referee being able to sort of put that doubt in his in his mind and say, have a look. And then, you're, and then I feel like some referees are overthinking it when this most sensible thing to do would have just be going with your, your, your original judgment. And I think that's certainly the case for... Jao Mario's red card. I actually find it hard to understand how, the, after you know speaking to VR, they came to the decision to make it a red because 
I don't really see how he can be aware of where the ball is and where his hand is falling. You know, it's sort of behind him. He, it's it's a really close situation with that. You know, it's a, the ball leaving his foot and uh, hitting Joe Mario's arm. So yeah, I think that was. It really didn't sit right with me. Yeah, and I think with the penalty as well, when you look at it slowed down, I can understand why they award a penalty in a way, even though I, I actually felt Arriba was in control of the ball and the Gilbert Vicente player was making the tackle. Um, it, it was a such a strange situation, but I think it just, yeah, it comes down to this, um, this frustrating situation we have with VR where I feel like sometimes the on-field referee's judgment is is undermined and, and when he was originally making the right call because he's seen like he's got the he's seeing the whole picture the whole situation and, and yeah it just muddies it i think i agree on the i agree on the Joel mario red card i think i had the same feeling with both these decisions that when the decision was made i i was confused i found i found it harsh and i didn't really understand it um certainly for the Joel mario red card even when you see the replays obviously it's a clear handball I would like to I would like to know what the rule is, right? What the law of the game is, because I can only assume he was upgraded to a red card because uh, he was deemed to be the last man, and therefore denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. But personally, I, I don't agree with that. I don't I don't think that João Mario could be considered the last man. I thought there were Porto defenders already coming across, and I think maybe it's, maybe it's difficult to 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 judge that for the ref, but. Personally, I didn't think Jean Mario um, was the last man, and, and therefore I thought the red card was harsh. I have to say, on the penalty for Uribe, it's a tough one because at the time I thought it was a foul on Uribe more than anything because I thought Uribe had control of the ball, uh, and I don't think the Gil Vicente player had control of the ball. But I suppose it's like it's that thing that you said, though, isn't it? When you see the replay slow down, when you see them repeated ten times, you start to see things, and there was an angle of of replay where. Um, Uribe quite clearly has his foot on the Gil Vicent player's foot like he steps on the Gil Vicent striker's foot but the, the difficulty for me is that I don't like the key thing is that I don't think you can consider the Gil Vicent player in control of the ball so I find it hard to, to deem it a foul you know it's not a tackle uh, I think it's a pass that goes behind the Gil Vicent attacker and Uribe is there to collect it in turn and, and yeah he does step on Gil Vicent striker's foot but it's uh for me it was a little bit harsh but you know those were the two decisions that we saw in the day and, and they did prove to be game-changing decisions i mean what we could say though is that you know Porto could have been free no up in the first 15 minutes before these decisions happened you know pepe Aquino missed a an absolute sitter i mean that was so bad really i i find it hard to find an excuse for how he missed should have been two uh, there's no way about it, it should have been two I mean, you know danny Lamassa hit the bar um and, and you know he was looking really good at that point, and so yeah, you know don't, 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 that could have completely changed the game. From we might not be talking so much about these decisions, but it is what happens. And and you know we've got to give credit to Gil Vicente as well for getting themselves back in the game, having gone down because they were they were still getting the ball up the pitch better. They were making better chances. It was great to see Ozzy Carlos back playing for them, overlapping, getting the assist for the friend of ours equaliser. Um, and he and he saw you know when that in the replay of that goal when it was slowed down how friend Navarro you know Pepe was struggling to to follow him he dummied his run and cut him back and then found the space in behind you know that was a lovely Twitter sort of erupted didn't it and sort of a praise for friend Navarro you know everyone's sort of and we, we've praised him a lot in this in this podcast as well and it's 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 a good milestone for him just seeing him work and 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 the little the little things he does you know to make the spaces and and yeah yeah he's a really really good player. He, um, it was his 29th goal in the Premier League of Gilles Vicente since he signed for them and he becomes Gilles Vicente's all-time top scorer in the Premier League, which is a, you know, a really remarkable statistic. I think he's played for them, what, two seasons now? So, you know, really fantastic return for him. And it was a great goal. It was a great striker's goal, the movement uh, where he just faints for the cutback and then comes in down and then get, receives the ball and taps in. Brilliant play uh, from Van Navarro. And credit to Gilles Vicente because obviously... Look, whether or not we agree with the refereeing decisions, that's irrelevant to them. They don't ask for those decisions to be made. They just react to the situation. They responded well, of course. It was a great goal. Worth. We have to remember, of course, that the equaliser came when it was 11 v 11. So that was a perfectly uh, legitimate goal. And then obviously they get the penalty and they dispatch it and they go 2-1 up. Um, and 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 they're in the driving seat, which was, which was a credit to their performance. I want to talk about the second half of this game, Barney. I'm really interested in what... 
you're going to have to say about this because watching this game as it unfurled, I became increasingly, increasingly frustrated with Gilles Bissette in in the second half. Um, it's worth saying at this point that Aribe, who received a yellow card for the penalty incident, also shortly after that received a second yellow. And so Porto played the whole second half with, with nine men uh, on the pitch. So Gilles Bissette were playing admittedly in the drag out against Porto, a great team, but they were playing against nine men with a goal advantage for 45 minutes. And I found it incredibly, incredibly frustrating how they seemed unable to control the game in the second half. Perhaps credit where credit's due to Porto, who continued to show, to fight for the result, even with nine men on the pitch. They gave absolutely everything in that second half. They really really gave it to Gilles Vicente in the second half. But I found it so frustrating that Gilles Vicente couldn't just do the simple things in the second half to control the game. It felt to me, Barney, like they were constantly getting stuck in tight spaces in their own half where they couldn't release the ball, but they're against they're against nine men. When, you know, they'd often be in a situation, for example, on the right-hand side where they'd have three players down the right wing in their own half trying to do intricate passes and get out of a tight space. But on the other side of the pitch, they've got acres of space and a two-man advantage. Why aren't they just playing the ball around, passing into space, making Porto chase the ball for 45 minutes? I found it really, really difficult to deal with. Uh, they didn't have a shot for something like the first 25, 30 minutes of the second half, which I just found really frustrating. Maybe it was a psychological thing. Maybe they're not used to playing in the Dragao, regardless of the fact against nine men, but you know, having a lead to defend and ultimately being the team with the advantage. Um, I thought they really should, they were in danger a couple of times of losing the lead and that would have been an absolute disgrace. But of course, they, they didn't in the end. They made it much harder than they needed to be, but they did see out the result. What's that um, cliche? Is it uh, that 2-0 is the, the, the hardest score in football to, or something like that? But maybe a, a, a maybe a nine-man Porto is the hardest team in football. You know, like completely <laughs> riled up and... Um, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I think I think that's more credit to Porto. You know that that that's that's them at their best, and they feel the world's against them, and and, and they have something to fight for. That you know, I can see them really coming out. I, I get what you were saying, though, and and I, I would have liked to have, have, have seen them push on and really try and capitalise on that with Espero. It's a huge advantage. United could be against playing against nine men. Um, I, I did want to praise one player though for Jovan Albert in the defensive line because I think obviously there were moments where they had to defend. Um, and that was Thomas Giroudjou, um the the twenty year old centre back on loan from Benfica, who. Well, I saw this interesting thing from um, Goal PT actually. Um, the last according last season, the two best centre backs on average for ratings um, in the second division were Antonio Silva and Thomas Giroudjou, both playing for Benfica B. This season in the Premier League, the two best centre backs on average ratings are Thomas Arujo and Antonio Silva. And, you know, we've seen how much praise Antonio Silva has received um, the, the, this year. I think Thomas Arujo has been, you know, fantastic. And it's, it's since Daniel Souza sort of came in charge of the set, Arujo wasn't a sort of regular star in that back line, but Souza has brought him in and, and, and he's, you know, he's completely repaid the faith. It was his sort of outside of the foot pre-assist for the, for the equaliser it was delightful. And I just liked how aggressive and brave he was you know he he wasn't afraid to step up and intercept and, and and get close to Taremi you know when he's playing when you're a back four playing against two strikers you know one of those centre back has to be brave and, and follow the man who's dropping and, and he did that really well so I thought that was a, was a really good performance from him but um, yeah it was, it's, it's, it's a huge result for sure for Sen you know what, a, a, perhaps a result that was sort of coming for them they, they've they've a team that's been on a real journey this season and now, you know, like I mentioned, Dan, um, Daniel Souza in the helm is, is is really bringing out the best in these players who haven't had great success this season. Great result for Silver Saint Barney. I've got to ask you the obvious question though. Porto now eight points behind Benfica. Same games played, no games in hand. Um, is it the end of their season in terms of the title race? To be honest with you, uh, my opinion was that even a five point deficit would have been too much for them to overturn. So. Uh, I think the eight-point deficit, unfortunately, we have to say, is probably the end of the run for their title race, barring a dramatic collapse from Benfica. Yeah, no, I, I think I've got to agree with you. And I, I think it comes down to something that we've sort of discussed several points throughout the season. You know, I mentioned the the missed opportunities at the beginning of the game. There's been a sort of lack of inequality in their attack this this year, and then they've had to use 
different combinations of players, you know, whether it be for injuries or, or squad rotation, you know, that, that sometimes haven't haven't come off as good as Namaso was in this game, you know, that, that he needed to be getting a goal really for them to, to get a different result from this game. And so, yeah, I think that's been the problem. And I think that's why they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're eight points behind now. And I do think that it's going to be too much to, to claw back. That uh, upcoming Champions League then game, then I think takes on a lot more uh, significance because a good Champions League run will be something that gives their fans something to get behind and uh, could, if they do well in the Champions League, you can leave them feeling much better coming into the, the season. Well, if one game full of red cards and drama wasn't enough for you, Barney, then boy, do I have another game for you because uh, this weekend we had, uh, as everybody knows, one of my favourite games in the Portuguese football calendar, of course, the Mino derby between Vitória and Braga. And Barney, I'm going to say something controversial. I don't want to lose any listeners or any fans on the podcast, but in my humble opinion, the Mino derby in Guimarães is the definitive Mino derby. It's one of my bucket list games, a game that uh, I really want to go to, maybe next year, because it's never without drama, passion, and as we saw in this game, plenty of controversy. Auto versus Gilles Vicente gave us two red cards. This game gave us three. It also gave us three goals as Vittoria won 2-1 against Braga. Barney, I tweeted it during the game, but there's just something about Vittoria playing at home in the Mino derby that makes me think no matter what the form is, no matter where these teams are in the table, I always feel like Vittoria are going to win the game. They do not come into these games to fuck around. They have the mentality, uh, the passion and the drive, uh, and they really showed that in this game. Of course, they were helped by a red card to Siku Nyakate. That was the first goal. It was a penalty given. And in one of the most bizarre refereeing and VAR decisions you're going to see this season, uh, Seiko Nyakate was originally given a second yellow card for the foul and sent off. He goes through the whole appealing to the ref, you know, having all of that, walks off the pitch, stands on the touchline. The ref says, hold on a second, wait there, goes to the VAR screen, calls Nyakate over. You think he's going he's gonna to turn over the yellow card. He does. He rescinds the yellow card. You think the card is off the hook. What does he do? He shows him the straight red. It was absolute box office. I know Braga fans would have hated it, but I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was historic scenes in the Premier League. I mean, it was a huge moment of this game as well. I think um, the the replay looks like you see the movement from the Akati's arm and his hand going to Saferia's chest, and, and then you see Saferia's body fall, and it, and it does look like he, he has been pushed, but like I also feel like he went down really, really well, like really easy. Um, and I, I loved it in the way Zafira sort of walked away, just sort of looking at the ref, just not even looking at the ref, just head down, just holding his hand up to say like card, card. Like <laughs> I think that sort of showed me that he might have known what he was doing, perhaps. But look, I, I mean, Zafira is a really interesting player, isn't he? Albert? Because I think when uh, Victoria signed him from B said, I thought that was quite an underwhelming signing. You know, from what I saw of him at B said this. You know, he 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 got a few goals at the end of their campaign. Um, you know, showed is always showed good work, the effort, but little else in my eyes. But I, I think that was perhaps a little narrow sided for me because he's 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 a really good profile of striker for this league. He, he has those physical attributes, but most importantly, that determination to cause problems. And and you know, he he'll hustle any defender in this league. You know, any any big big defender, and and that that's what he. That's what he did in that game to get the penalty. And, and to be fair to him as well, that was one of the best headers I've seen this season. You know, that, that the second goal. Um, great cross from Amaro uh, from deep. And then he just rises and, yeah, connects really well. Um, and then just, you know, nice to see him at the end waving the flag as well, just just revving, up, revving it up as well. And, yeah, a, a great game for him. And, and he, he deserves it, you know, because he's been, he's been whittling away trying to get into that starting eleven. And I think in, in recent performances, he's, he's really earned it. He, for me, Barney, has an opportunity to go down as the definitive Vittoria de Guimaraes striker because he was a free transfer. He's been unsuccessful at previous clubs. He's come out of nowhere. He'll probably score four goals this season, right? But he scores two goals in the Mino derby and waves the flag at the end of the game and goes down as like a cult hero. It's like he is the definitive Vittoria striker. But look, at... at it, to be fair to him, it's not just this game that he scored in. He scored in recent games. You know, he he's put in goals 
uh, on he's scoring goals. So fair play to him. He, he's doing well. He's not he's not the striker we expected to to do well, but he's the one that's scoring at the moment. So credit to him. As you say, the first goal full of controversy for me. I yeah, for me it probably is a pen. It's a soft pen, but it probably is a pen. It's certainly not a yellow card. Uh, I don't think Nikate should have been sent off for that. I'll happily put that on record. Um, but the second goal, can be no doubts about that. A wonderful header, really, really good header into the top corner. So so credit to him. Vittorio then finished the first half 2-0 up. They're a man up. The second half rolls around, of course. Thiago Silva gets sent off early into the second half. Another red card bunny. It's another second yellow card, which personally I don't think should have been a yellow. We saw three people sent off for second yellow cards. And I don't think any of them deserve to be sending offs, if I'm perfectly honest. Braga then get a late goal back from Giallo. And, you know, if, if a performance, if you're ever going to get this type of performance, it's going to be in the Mino derby. 85th minute, Giallo gets a yellow card. 88th minute, he scores a goal to give them some last minute hope of, of getting an equaliser. And then four minutes later, he himself gets sent off. So... It was a it was a pretty mad game. It's it's a hard game to judge in terms of quality. Um, the one thing I will say if I'm trying to analyze the game is that I don't think Braga went into it with the same commitment that Pretoria did. I think they were out for in this game. I think Pretoria battled harder, and ultimately that's why they 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 got the win. They didn't let Braga play their game, and I think they deserved the win despite what I was saying about controversial sending offs and and controversial penalties. I think Pretoria did deserve the win. On this occasion, and and not for the first time, Barney, we're looking at Emilio Derby, where Vittorio are lower down in the table, uh, not in as good form in the league, but in the home leg of, of the Derby, they they get a win. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point out because I think yeah, last season it was the same thing; they they got a win there, despite being further down the table. But I think if you look at the 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 like the more recent history and they go a bit further, you see that it's it's actually quite rare for Vittorio to to get a win against uh, Braga at home, and so. You know, I think the difference this year, because you're right, they're always Vittorio always up for it. They're always aggressive in these games. But the difference for me is 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 the man behind it all, and that's Moreno. You know, defensively, I thought they were brilliant. You know, at, at Amaro, um, Bamba, at, at absolutely excellent in this game. You know, and then that's coming up, arguably one of the, the better attacks in this league. You know, Banza and and, and Amaro, I think they've earned that this season, probably in terms of having a, a good attack attacking line. And I think. Uh, Amara and Bamba handled them really well alongside uh, Villanueva. But it's also the midfield player I, I wanted to highlight. You mentioned Thiago Silva getting off. It's, it's his partner, Danny Silva. You know, we've seen um, Andre Amelde come through last season for Vittoria, you know, an excellent young midfielder. Thomas Handel a bit as well, though, has uh, shown glimpses, but I think he's perhaps more a defensive midfielder and not sort of suited to his formation. But young Danny Silva is perfect. You know, he's, he's in this 3 4 3. He's so tidy on the ball, you know, sublime passing. And there's, you know, there's so many other play young players in this team who, who, who've caught our excitement this season. And I think he's perhaps gone under our radar, you know, but he's a, he's a really exciting player. I really like him in midfield. And and, and and the reason I'm sort of talking about it is because, you know, the manager, Moreno, has done absolute wonders with the Vistoria's team. You know, there's been several young players come through in, in positions, you know, not just one one star, they, they all across the pitch, players have come in and, and really worked for them. And then, and you know, this they're up comfortably in fifth. Um, you know, they're not going to drop from that. You know, they might even have a push for for fourth. Who knows? You know, that you know they're, 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 that way, that's the way they're going. And to come away with three points against Braga this season is is is, is brilliant. And I think Moreno deserves a lot of praise. I'm completely with you. There was there were good performances all over the pitch uh, for Vittoria. I think Bruno Varela was excellent. Goal made some good saves. Um, the back three, I thought, were phenomenal. All of them, Barney. Andre Amaro, Ibrahim Bamba, and Mikel Villanueva, all excellent on the day. Um, and you, you could single out almost all of all of Vittoria's starting 11. I think that goes back to what I was saying about commitment and passion. That They were really up for the game. And, and I think you're right to point out the fact that, that that comes from the top down and it starts with the manager. All right, well, let's do two more games from the top four, Barney. And let's talk about Sporting versus Estoril. Sporting found themselves... Up against Estoril at arguably the best possible time, with Estoril at a very low ebb in terms of form. They just sacked manager Nelson Verissimo and hadn't replaced uh, and hadn't appointed a replacement in time to get that new manager bounce. They have now, of course, appointed Ricardo Suarez, which we'll discuss uh, in just a second. But 
it did mean that Sporting were able to take advantage of, of Estoril's form and secure a 2-0 victory. Um, comfortable victory on paper, and I think watching the game, it was uh, a game where Sporting weren't really challenged. Highlight of the game for me, Barney, was, of course, uh, Trincao's goal, Sporting second, which was a moment of real individual magic. It was the type of quality that we'd hope he'd uh, show ever since he arrived back in Portugal. He's obviously been in poor form, perhaps lacking confidence, uh, but this goal just shows that he's still got real quality inside him, waiting to come out, and if Amarim and Sporting can can harness it, then they've still got a real player on that. Yeah, I mean, it was a, I've always a really incredible goal, to be to be completely frank. I think, you know, you saw the Astral defenders after it gone and sort of turning to each other, looking annoyed as, as if no one had stopped him, but I think you know, when you look, when you saw it, Gangboa knew that he, if he, he was too close to box and he was just going to foul him, and both, like, he just, he couldn't get near without, you know, giving away a penalty, or it was just such good close control, great dribbling. And I, I think the problem with Trincao Albert is, I think him and Edwards at this moment, they're involved in this Pedro Gonzalez's best position debate, and I, I think that's always yeah. going to go against him in some sense. But I think, you know, look, from Amarin's point of view, a sporting team with all three of them and have the best chance of winning. And so he's going to continue to picture in Kyle Edwards and, and, and put him in the field. And I want to agree with Amarin on that sense because they're all great players and I think they've all got something to offer. And, and Trincao in this moment has really showed us that, what he can do. And if you, I think if you look at his goal contributions, they're low, right? If you compare it to, say, Sarabia from last season, uh, which is probably an unfair comparison because you know, Sarabia was arguably the best player in, in the league. You, you know, he's not going to, we weren't really expecting to be that. We were just expecting a bit more quality. And then, and, you know, when you look at his expected assists, he should be probably should have two more assists than he, than he currently has. You know, that would, that would uh, sort of increase his goal contributions. But yeah, I think it was a great goal and, and, and a huge moment for him. You know, that, you know, that, that video is, that, that goal is going to be watched dozens, dozens of times. You know, that's going to go viral because it was, it was a real, real special moment for him and he I'm inclined to say he deserves it you know because he, he's I think he always works you know he's, he I think he pops up in good positions and I think sometimes he, he perhaps doesn't do the glamorous stuff but he, he, he makes things happen and I think, and I think he's, he's a really good player It's funny because we tweeted that goal Barney and we got quite a few comments from, from Wolves fans who said well look this is exactly what he was like for us he inconsistent you know wouldn't do anything for ages be rubbish for a while and then just pop up occasionally with that moment of magic. So I think the question for Trincao and I think for Amarim as well has to be, is is that going to continue? Is that just going to be what he is as a player or it is, or is he going to push on and make uh, himself a more consistent player and show that type of form more consistently? I think that's a real question, um, a really important question. Some interesting uh, selection choices for, for Sporting. Once again, Barney, I don't know whether these are worth talking about, uh, Players like Fatawu, who was trusted to start uh, against Porto, is is not even in the matchday squad. Uh, Pedro Gonçalves, of course, who's in great form, you know, Sporting's best player on current form, scoring lots of goals from the left wing position, is is pushed back into midfield, and the young midfielder Tanglongo is 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 put back on the bench. You could say that perhaps a game at home against Estoril, who are in really poor form, is the perfect game to to try some of those younger players, to try Tanglongo, to try Fatawu, but Amarim doesn't do it. Obviously, it didn't matter in the end because they got a good win and you could say it was good for Trincao to start because he got his goal. But do you think Amarim is still having problems with selection? That's what I'm trying to get at, basically, because I think the big one for me was putting Pot back into midfield when, he, when he'd been so good on the left wing and it felt like a waste of his of his talents really to be playing in midfield just to accommodate either Trincao or, or Paulinho or Edwards up front. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things going on there because I think firstly, Aaron's been quite erratic sometimes with his, his squad selection. But I think the the overriding thing is, you know, I, I saw a headline saying that, that uh, sort of roughly translated that Sporting are back on the podium, you know, with the results going against uh, Braga and, and Porto. Uh, I, I, yeah, and yes, they are a bit closer, but I think that sort of shows that the the narrative that the, the Sporting will want to go with, and of course, I understand why, is that they they they're still in this fight trying to get for the Champions League football, right? Whereas I feel like. Perhaps other people see this this season as not a write off, but you know, like you mentioned, an opportunity for for Ramos to sort of go back to what he was good at when he first arrived. You know, getting young players into the team, new exciting players, and and sort of trying to build something different. But 
the issue is that Aaron just sort of goes back to the same old Aaron and and and, and here we are. Like I mentioned, I think Amrin's point of view is that getting all three of those players, Edwards, Trincao and, and Pedro Gonzalez in the team, gives Sporting the best chance of winning. I think it's as simple as that for him. And uh, Though I disagree with it, I, I think that Pedro Gonzalez should be playing in the attack. You know, your best attacking player, play him in the, his best position. He doesn't see that way. So it's, it's a confusing one. And this is the thing that's sort of continuing to yeah, follow Sporting around at the moment. It's the sort of confusion of not really what direction they're going and what they're trying to do and you know they've just won two nil and the, and, and the 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 enemies have dropped points, but we're still talking about the sort of messy situation at Sporting. But yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a tough one. I'm going to give you a statistic, Barney. Um, Estoril have now not had a single shot on target in either league game they've played against Sporting this season. That's a total of 180 minutes of football against Sporting where they failed to register a shot. Or target that hasn't happened to any other team this season in the league. Obviously, they're in a very tough position. They're not in a great run of form. I thought they did actually show moments of of fight in this game. You know, they just sacked their sacked their manager Nelson Verissimo. It looked like the players had had at least had a word for them. I had a word with themselves and uh, uh, tried to buck up their ideas a bit, but they failed to impact the game at all. Really, I don't really remember any dangerous moments that. Estoril inflicted upon Sporting. Um, I suppose the only question I have for you is, is where do they really go from here? They've just appointed today Ricardo Suarez, uh, the former Gil Vicente manager, to be their new their new coach. I have to say he was my he would have been my first choice. You know, I think he's a real quality manager. He was the Gil Vicente manager who helped them qualify for the Europa Conference League and European football for the first time in their history. Um, a manager of real quality who's achieved great things. Uh, I'm really pleased that they went for him and I'm really pleased that he's back in the league. I'm excited to see what Esther will look like under him. But things have got to change and they've got to change quickly because Esther are playing really badly. They don't look threatening. Uh, they don't create many chances. They don't They don't look like beating many teams that they play. So uh, Ricardo Suarez is going to have to turn things around pretty quickly if if, if Esther are going are gonna to have a, a glimmer of hope at the end of this season. Yeah, I think it's... it's uh... I think it's a mixture of a mentality change, right? I, I think he's got to come in and, and not sort of address the fact that they could be getting closer and closer to a relegation of scrap. You know, just remind these, this team that you know, they're, they're obviously there's been a quite a few changes since last season, but this is a this is a team that came up, got promoted, and played were playing some of the best football in the league last season, and, they, and they, I feel like they've lost that bit of identity. You know, with, despite having sort of the eighth highest possession in the league, you know, like you said, they're not they're not doing anything with it, and I think. Ricardo Suarez is I think there's a good squad in there man I think there's good players and, and I think if he can harness harness them I, I think they haven't been used right you know there's players like uh, James Lee Siliki uh, the Cameroon player on loan from Rennes um, who I think has got a lot more to offer in that midfield I think that's the main issue for me that Aaron really needs work you know we have, you see Rosier in there you know the, the young Frenchman doing well we haven't seen him for a while and it's just a combination of players that just haven't worked out because you know we've the whole thing with Estoril is that we've always been saying Chico Garaudas, Thiago Guevara, you know, and, and to be quite simple about it, or I was trying to draw comparisons to Ricardo Suarez as you ever said team to, to the Estoril team, and if you look at Thiago, could Guevara be the next Samuel Lino? Could <laughs> Garaudas be the the next Fujimoto? You know, I I don't know. I think there's enough there, but and, I, and like I said at the beginning, there I think it's about a mentality thing, not thinking of your own relegation scrap, just resetting and, and, and going again and, and trying to do so. I think I think Rafi Gaitan's going to be a big player for the rest of the season. I think he even showed one or two moments of quality on the ball. I've, I, I think it might have been his first start for us to win this game. I'm not sure, but we saw him do good things at Maritimo last season, and now he's back in Portugal with Estoril. He is that type of midfield player who can get on the ball and. Uh, and build attacks from the midfield. So uh, I think he's going to be a key player. But, you know, we'll have to see in the coming weeks how they respond to uh, the change of manager. Uh, let's do the last game of the top four, Barney. Talk about Benfica, who beat Vizela 2-0 away from home. A fairly routine win for Benfica, who who weren't really troubled by Vizela at all. Most of this game, most of the interest in this game, Barney, came off the pitch. Uh, and I'm, of course, talking about uh, the now infamous incident with 
with Roger Schmidt. Um, obviously, there's a there's a humorous side to this incident, but there's also a serious side. Uh, Roger Schmidt getting a lot of stick from Vizella fans towards the end of the game uh, decides to give something back uh, by holding up a two nil hand gesture just to remind them what the score is. Uh, but of course, he had been hit by I think it was a water bottle, which is uh, you know disappointing to see because as football fans, you like a bit of atmosphere. But when it goes too far, it's always disappointing. But no, look, it was a routine win for for Benfica. Um, of course, it proved to be very important because Porto went on to drop points. But uh, Benfica showed no sign of dropping points against uh, weaker opposition. I want, I'll probably give a bit more praise to Brazil than you there, but I thought they sort of created a couple of chances. There was he had that um, uh, hit the crossbar and then the post in in that same attacking move, and then and that that would have made it one one. Um, and I thought they defended pretty well. To be honest, you know, I don't think. Benfica had too many clear-cut chances, but you know it's 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 the same old thing, isn't it? As Jao Mario penalty, um, and, and and then another goal like later on just to to completely sew things up. It was, yeah, it just it's just routine Benfica at the moment, isn't it? And and uh, it's it's hard to find the words. I mean, let's maybe talk about Jao Mario for a second because it's. It's it's almost incredible what he's doing this season, but it it but at the same time doesn't feel that special. It's, it's hard to describe. Do you know what I mean? It, it it's he's putting in incredible numbers. I know there's a, a, a few of them are penalties, but he's he's getting goals, and and I don't I, I find it hard to get excited about it. If you know what I mean? No, I do know what you mean because they 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 seem so simple. His game seems so simple that it's not like he's dribbling around 10 players every game and sticking one in the top corner. He just always seems to find himself in the right place at the right time to put the ball in the back of the net. It was two more goals for Jarl Mario in this game. Here's some statistics for you, Barley. It's now 14 goals he scored this season. He's the league's top scorer. Six of those goals penalties, of course. In his whole career, in his whole professional career as a footballer, he scored a total of 48 goals. And 14 of those, almost a quarter have come in this season alone. So it is truly a, a remarkable season that he's having. Obviously, I, w- I was going to ask you, like, why do you think it's happening? But I think he's just playing in a system where he, he's trusted to to get into the box, you know, perhaps, you know, later than the striker. He's arriving late for those cutbacks, for those crosses. He's picking the ball up on the edge of the box. And, of course, being a penalty taker and a very good one at that doesn't help. But, yeah, why do you think it is that he's he's suddenly putting up these numbers? No, I, I think that I think that's exactly right. What you said there, Albert, it's, it's this formation that Schmidt plays within the system, which you know, because I, I I bring Ausers into this conversation as well, because it was in this game that Ausers sort of um, was put into the double pivot position, something most people wanted to see since Enzo Fernandez left in in January. But um, someone on Twitter, Bruno Francisco, did an amazing thread, sort of compare. Uh, Comparing Ausner's performance against Fazella in this game in in in, his, in the double pivot position compared to the other games where he's playing more advanced on the left, the sort of opposite wing from Jao Mario, and and the biggest difference in Ausner's game was the ball recovery. So against Fazella, you know he managed five ball recoveries, uh, three of which were in Fazella's half in this game, but against Bovista the week before when he's playing further up on the left, he made eleven ball recoveries, eight being in the opposition's half, and I think. That really shows you the effect of Benfica's press with Jao Mario on the right, Alistair on the left, and 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 the two pacey players in the middle, be that Guedes or Rafa alongside Goncalo Ramos. You know that's what's effective: getting the ball higher up the pitch and turning it over, and then making stuff happen there. And that's where I think Jao Mario's goal is coming from as well. You know the fact that he's in that position, and also you know the fact that the width is created by the wing backs rather than you know pacey wingers. You know you're getting more you're attacking players and your pace in the central of the pitch where you're more likely to score a goal than than out wide hugging hugging the touchline and just going back to ours sorry quickly because I, I was really interested in seeing him play further back as well i did actually think he's better than shaquino in that position you know who has been good but i think ours's passing was great he was good at getting it wide and i think it will be interesting to see how westwitz goes playing forward because like i mentioned you have this sort of conflicting thing where you have a better player in Alistair than Shaquinho, but also you have Alistair's effect of playing her further up the pitch and sort of pressing and recovering balls. I think you've cracked it, Barney. We asked on this podcast for a few weeks why he insisted on playing Alistair's further forward, but I suppose we should always uh, trust the judgment of the professional managers rather than their own. 
But that, it, it's been the, the team is playing so well, and we've spoken many times about why Benfica are where they are at the top of the table. And sometimes perhaps we've been a bit lazy by just saying, "Oh, it's because they've got the best players, they've bought well." But it's always, always worth remembering that in Roger Schmidt they have a manager who knows so well how to set up his team to win, whether that's uh, in big games in the Champions League or whether in that's. Uh, in games against smaller clubs in Portugal, like Vizela. So I think he's really, really making his mark on the league this season, whether that's with uh, his his performances on the pitch or whether the way he responds to, to fans in the stadium. I think he's really making a name for himself in this league. Did he get sent off, Albers? Was he doing the 2-0 as he was walking down the tunnel? I think of... he was. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Makes it all the sweeter. <laughs> Hello to the listeners of the Long Ball Football Podcast. If you're looking for the perfect listening material to accompany your Portuguese footballing adventures, the journeymen have got you covered. Join us as we travel from club to club, delving into the stories, tales and myths that have helped define the ethos and identities of football clubs all around the world. We've already covered the likes of Aberdeen, Ipswich Town, FC Colne and of course, Portuguese powerhouse FC Porto. So join me, Mark. And me, Joey. On the Journeyman Podcast as we take you through fascinating untold stories with tales of heroes, villains, promotions, relegations and everything in between. And we hope that you join us for the next step of our journey around the footballing world. All right, Barney, well, let's look a bit further down the table and talk about Passos de Ferreira versus Boa Vista. And it was a great win for Boa Vista away from home as they beat Passos 3-1. Boa Vista, a team that I think we've been a little bit harsh on at times, and I personally have been. Um, to be fair, they haven't really set the league alight this season. But they've played very well in this game. I thought Passos, uh, a team on the up, a team in good form with good confidence. Uh, I think Bovisa did really well to nullify their threat and control the game. They scored three goals to give themselves a comfortable lead and held on for the win despite a late Passos consolation. Uh, despite a Passos consolation on the hour mark. It was goals for Yusufa NG, Ricardo Mangas and Kenji Gore. Good performances all over the pitch, Barney. I'll let you kick off. Where do you want to start with this one? I think Passos would be disappointed because it was it was two set piece goals. The first two wasn't it? You know, and and G's was very fortunate. And I think that's the he side didn't of... know it had gone in, Barney. He didn't <laughs> know it had gone in straight but away. Look, man, that's a that's a. I feel like that's a sign of a striker in form. You know, he's he's getting goals. He doesn't even know he's he's, he's doing it. Um, and I was it was yeah, good for him to get on the score sheet again. And of course, um, the sort of uh, the the the. the this free kick for Mangas as well was, uh, I think in both those situations, you perhaps could have expected Passos to defend a bit better. That, that, I think that's not too much ours, but then, you know, there was nothing they could do about Kenji's goal, was there? That was just a, a moment of brilliance for him, cutting inside, getting past two and just hitting it into the top corner. That was really good. And um, no, I agree with you, Albert, but you said at the start there about Bovista because I think it was about a month ago, I looked at the expected table you know which takes into account expected goals for and against and um i remember seeing boa vista were drastically outperforming their expected goals and expected against they were basically way up higher up the tape much higher up the table than they probably should have been you know they probably should have been teams above them but i think since that moment we've actually seen them really perform well and i can honestly say they deserve to be where they are now because the performances of late have been brilliant and this one was no different yeah, very good performance. They made they made the game look very comfortable in a game that could have been potentially very difficult because we all know that Passos are fighting for their lives and, and, and they're in a moment where they're really buoyed by some good recent results. So this could have been a potential banana skin. But Bovisa did such a good job on them. They caused them so many problems, especially in the Passos box, as you say, with those set pieces, but also just trying to get the ball in the box, create chances capitalised with the three goals of course they only let Passos get back into the game when the game is already won I want to I want to just have my own little comment on Kenji Gore's goal as well Barney it was a solo goal to be proud of brilliant little run from the left hand side into the edge of the box fires into the top corner we've seen a lot of quality from him this season he's had a run of games out of the starting 11 recently when he started the season as a kind of firm starter but He's showing again why he, he can be one of Bovis's key players. He was man of the match on the day. Yeah, I think I think what Petit's been 
doing I think that left hand side is the Burvis's best left hand side, whether Mangas is playing on the wing or, or Gori, because uh, I think that's also partly to do with um, Bruno behind him at left back who's who's been playing really, really well. I think that's a really dangerous thing. And I think in this game, you know, what, what Petty did quite well was having Gori on on the left hand side and Mangas on the right. It was meant that both these players were cutting in and, and, and causing problems and that. I think that, that did work well. Um and, and and another thing as well is is, is the defence Albert as well. Reggie Cannon is now a sort of a nailed on centre back. Even in the back four, you know, he, he used to be in the back five, but he, he's he's doing well there. And 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 then of course you have got Bacardi behind them, just pulling out. I mean, the, was it Holesgrove had that shot early on, and it was just a fingertip save around the post. It was just you know, and then, and then he was at the end of the game with the megaphone. Did you see that? Just giving it some like <laughs> that was great to see. But look, I, I think I think you're right, Albert. Early when you said about Passos, you know, they're, they're they're fighting for their lives. Every game's a must-win, but they're not going to win all of them, are they? And I, and I think this was just one of those games. They came up against a better team, and maybe there was the momentum sort of not gone, but they were. You know, it's hard to it's hard to be you up for a, a must-win game every week. So I sort of see. I I wasn't that surprised that they lost it. Perhaps they would have, like I said, the the, the set piece they could have done better on Balfour's. You know. This was a really good performance from Bovista. Yeah, I, I think it was arguably perhaps was his weakest performance since Pachotto's return. Maybe, maybe weakest is not the right word, but definitely the least successful. You know, they they can take the least out of this of this game than they can of all the games since Pachotto's return. It was a wonderful goal from Adrian Butzka, which unfortunately only turned out to be a consolation. It was the assist from from Gaitan who who had just celebrated his 37th birthday, comes off the bench, provides a wonderful lofted assist, and then a brilliant first-time volleyed finish from, from Butzka. It was a, a brilliant goal. It's a shame that the goal didn't get get them something because it, it deserved it deserved a, a win or it deserved some focus. My goal of the week, personally. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, obviously they can't win every game, but they need to make sure that this doesn't affect their momentum. They need to bounce back from this because... They've got a lot of hard work to do if they're going to survive. They've shown that they can do it. They've shown that they can beat teams in this league, uh, and they need to show some more resilience after after this, which was obviously a disappointing result. Um, uh, let's do the our next game, Barney. Uh, is a game between two of the most interesting teams to follow this season. Of course, that is uh, Aruka versus Casapia. Aruka beat Casapia two 0 at home. Uh, and they would have been delighted with that result. It continues their good run of form. Whilst it was another loss for Kazapir, which means it's only one win in eight for the team that we were uh, earlier in the season calling the uh, Keeper Hevela Saudi, uh, you know, the revelatory team this season, the team that surprised everyone and were fighting for Europe. Unfortunately, Kazapir have really struggled with their form and, and, and seem to be stuck in in something of a rut at the moment. I'm just interested. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, no, I think. I... I think there's a there's been a fair bit going on with Casapian there. They've had their injury problems. Um just some sort of key players, Savio Godwin and uh, and Lello as well, the the left wing back who was um rumoured of a move to sporting, was it not too long ago? It, um so uh, that hasn't held them and then there's been, you know, other changes to the team that they've had to do. Um I, I Felipe Martins was sort of talking pre match about you know just sort of trying to put perspective on it and say, you know, this the the fantastic one wasn't gonna go on forever. They were never gonna be chasing sporting for European places all season, you know, they were gonna have this dip and I think that's that's fair enough. I think they still played pretty well in this game. Um, you know, Yuki Soma is was is looking very good at attack. Clayton's looking good still. Um I mean, let's be real, Aruka's keeper Arabel Herrera had to make uh, quite a few saves so he he did make some good ones as well. Uh, to sort of keep Casapier out. But yeah, it was that red card late on, but was it about eightieth minute for young and golden uh, Benny who who who's um I think he's been all right for Casapia since they've signed him in January. You know, a good player in that midfield. But yeah, that that's sort of he was given a second yellow for a hand up to the neck, wasn't it, of a, one of the Aruka players, and it's sort of pushing him away from a, a foul he just committed, and it was very very soft in in terms of the sort of action of putting his hand up to his neck. I think it just sort of I don't know what he was thinking really. But after that, you know, Mujica comes and gets his two goals, and, and Aruka away. It was it was a game changing moment, wasn't it? And it's one of those Barney where if he just pushes his shoulder, I don't think he gets the yellow, but it's because his hands on the neck. I think that's why the ref gives a yellow card. 
to be fair to Casper Pierpont, I think it was a very even game before the before the late sending off. I think they'd created some very good chances of of their own, but the momentum definitely shifted, as you say, and and you know Aruga did really well to capitalise on, on the man advantage. Rafa Mujicabani, worth remembering that before the bag kind of started taking all the headlines, Mujica was the, the guy in the starting eleven who was the main goal scoring threat. I had him in my fantasy team at one point because he was scoring goals for Aruka. Um he took both of his goals really well, really well. Looks like a very good striker. Um and it, it was just a hard working performance for Aruka. They dug in when it was eleven v eleven. They did all the hard work and then when they got their advantage of of Casapier sending off they really took it, and I think they'll see this as a really well-earned, and, and and I agree, a deserved three points in the end. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you're right, they they they, they 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 played a solid game throughout, and, and the defence did pretty well as well against a very fluid Casapier attack. And it's good to see Jerome Poku back in that back line alongside Basso. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's another three points for Aruka. It's, it's, it's keeping them that that end of the table, the right end of the table. And we 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 cannot once again. Uh, we'll say we'll, we'll probably say this dozens of times this season, but you know you, you cannot underappreciate the the job that Amanda Evangelista has done at Aruka. The last thing I'll say on these two teams from me, Barney, is mm. there's now only one point that separates them in the table. Aruka actually overtook Casapia with this win to go into sixth place, but. There's a point between them. Uh, Kazapir on 32 points, Aruka on 33. For all the talk of, of you know, maybe that these teams could qualify for Europe or whether they're going to go on runs to challenge the top four, it is just worth taking a moment to reflect on the fact that, you know, Kazapir are a newly promoted team. Aruka were only promoted last season. And with 32, 33 points that they're on now, most seasons, they'd basically be saying, look, we've reached our goal of that points total which will all but guarantee them safety for next season so the fact that we're having that conversation in February and the fact that we're talking about these as the the sixth and seventh place team in the league you know it it is just worth taking a moment to 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 remember that that is an incredible achievement from two of the smallest clubs in this league let's be honest in terms of budget and the fact that they've both been recently promoted. So no matter the form, you know, no matter what happens at the end of the season, I hope, you know, this is two teams that have, have done really well to uh, to get where they are now. Let's do one last game, Barney. Um, and let's end with a managerial sacking as Santa Clara lost the Derby to Zelias, the, the Islands Derby 3-1 to Marito. It was the final nail in the coffin for Georges Simao, who was sacked. After 51 games, zero wins, and I think it was six losses. So really, really poor run of form for Santa Clara. This game had huge repercussions for the Premier League table body because it saw Maritimo overtake Santa Clara. Maritimo left the bottom two for the first time this season. It was a tale of two clubs heading in very, very different directions. Maritimo fighting so hard to put points on the table and climb up those positions and Santa Clara who've just been slipping further and further down the table I think this is the second consecutive game now where Santa Clara have gone ahead and ended up losing the game really disappointing no surprise for me that George Samal was sacked after this only question I have for you Barney is where do they go from here it's such a tough question in terms of manager because I said on the Cortellinish podcast that we did with Zach Lowy recently that George Samal to me felt like a regressive managerial choice after a series of progressive managers in terms of, you know, the Mario Silvers and the Nuno Campuses that have done good jobs trying to make Santa Clara play good football. And in George Samal, I think they picked a manager who they hoped would solidify them and keep them up. It hasn't worked. And I think they're in a really tricky position because the next manager has a supremely tough job on his hands. The only team with worst prospect of survival are, of course, Pasta Ferreira. So it's a really tough job, and they find themselves in a really, really sticky position. Yeah, it's. I mean, it could be, it could well be an impossible situation. Now, but I think it's, it's, it's just things just look worse and worse. Um, I mean, uh, the, 
they got a good first goal, I'd say. Uh, it was good work from Nanu against his old club, like the right back sort of getting forward and putting it into Gabriel Silva, who else scoring. But um, and, and and Gabriel Silva maybe should have scored again. Actually, just only had that opportunity to just put it past the post. But then I think, I think that thing happened that usually happens to a team who have found themselves on hard times. You know, that it, for Boateng's own goal, which you know there was just. I'm a bit very confused about what exactly happened. At first of all, I thought there was sort of no communication for him to sort of say, give someone give him the shout that he had no one on him. But then I don't actually know what he's trying to do at all. It's, it's, it's almost as if he's going for a diving header, and but the ball's like uh, just like just below knee high. I, I I don't I don't get it. And then and and that just yeah, like I said, I, I think that just sounds, that sort of shows a team in, in really tough times. I've said it before, but I, don't, I just can't see anything happening uh, for Santa Clara. I, I can't see a way out. I can't see a, a combination of players in that squad to, to sort of make something happen. Obviously, we talk about Gabriel Silva all the time, but I don't think he's enough. You know, there's just, just no yeah, enough quality in that team. It's very, very tricky. Do you know what? I think there are some some individuals in that team you can, you can build a team around. Gabriel Silva, perhaps, or Victor Bobson, perhaps. Boateng at the back, perhaps. But the problem we've spoken about with Santa Clara so often this season is that the sheer volume of signings that they're bringing in, they've just ended up with a really disjointed squad of of individuals. And like I said, it's not just a tricky job for the new manager because of the league position that they're in. It's such a tricky job to try and unite that team and, and, and dig out those gems and polish those rough diamonds. And there's so much work that needs doing to get this squad into a position where it's a healthy, competitive Premier League squad. And look, we're, we're in February, over half the season's gone, there's no more transfer window to work with. So it's a very brave manager that comes in to, to replace George Simao at this point. And I wonder whether the smart thing to do for Santa Clara will be to pick a long-term managerial appointment, a manager who will be able to impart their managerial philosophy in terms of football, in terms of players who will take more responsibility for scouting and may have to deal with the fact that they're going to go down this season. I wonder whether that's a smart thing to do because the alternative is they press the Joao Henriquez button and they go for someone who's just going to try and grind out the points and, and see if they can survive when that's not even a, a guarantee. So that's why for me this is such a, a, a tricky position. I was laughing out because I was just wondering, is there such a thing as a long-term uh, managerial appointment in Portuguese football? With <laughs> um, it's and a also, very good also, I, was, I want to check the odds on Jan Henry gets to be the next manager. That would be <laughs> it. He's but just look, behind Lee, He's just behind Leeds over the game, money. <laughs> but we, we can't... I know we, uh, Santa Cruz have been a pretty terrible, but um, I think Maurice Rhodes has a lot of credit for this performance. You know, I, I, yeah, I want to talk about Carly Wink just because he's, I, you know, gets sort of forced the um he put the cross in for the own goal started away the penalty just such a big player you know and i've always really liked him and and, and you think about how good you know seeing nana in this game think about how good he was when he was at marisa and what we thought of him i think the wing has completely surpassed him in terms of perhaps not in terms of ability but in terms of importance and stature and, and what he's given to this marisa team you know he's been a, such a huge player for them and and and, and continues to be so and then and also the Riascos, the, the signing of Brian Riascos in January has really livened up their attack. You know, that bit of extra speed, that bit of extra physicality, you know, getting himself into the box, getting that lovely assist as well uh, for, for Percy Lizard's uh, goal. Um, and, 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 and another midfielder, Val, the uh, Brazilian who they signed in January as well, was coming and playing defence midfield. Uh, just that extra bit of quality. And, and you know, you had just been talking about Santa Cruz haphazard transfer activity you know Marisimo's signings have all sort of seemed to be working and having an effect so I think that's a, that's a huge difference and, uh, and a reason why Marisimo is sort of a team potential on the up Yeah we talk about you know what is a long term managerial appointment of Portugal Barney as well we should also mention that Jose Gomez the Marisimo manager because um, he's walked into Marisimo and just seems like he's been there for years he seems right at home and he seems like the perfect fit in the moment um, and you know we we credit Cesar Pachotto with coming back to Passos and and changing their fortunes. Well, Jose Gomez came into a Marito team with a, a very similar position with only one win in the whole season, and uh, he's really turned their fortunes around and got them playing so good football and done what Cesar Pachotto hasn't done and, and got them out of the automatic relegation places. So he deserves a lot of credit. And if Marito survive at the end of the season, then 
Jose Gomez will be a, uh, a huge, huge part of that. Well, look, that's the last of this week's games that we're going to cover. Of course, as the listeners know, we love to end each episode with a look at the upcoming Premier League fixtures from this weekend and give you some recommendations for games that you might like to watch in the Premier League uh, this weekend. There's always some little hidden gems to watch. So, uh, Barney, what have you got for us? What are you going to recommend to watch this weekend? Well, uh, one that really screams out to me is Friday night, um, Boa Vista Ruka at 7 o'clock. I think that could be a, a nice little game. And then that's followed by Benfica, Family Gal. Family Gal getting a good weekend. I know we didn't get to talk about this um, this week's episode, but um, yeah, that could be it. I mean, I'm trying to find ways in which Benfica might drop points, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe Ivan <laughs> Jamie's the best, option, best person we have for that on uh, on Friday. But I think, yeah, certainly Boa Vista Ruka is a, a tasty one on Friday. Looks like a very good game. And Family Gal, a team that we've not really talked about on this podcast a lot of this season, so I'm looking forward to next weekend having an opportunity to chat about them and how they get against Benfica. I'm going to go for Barney, 3.30pm on Sunday. Silverson versus Maritimo, two teams in good form. Uh, I think that could be a really interesting game. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. We'd like to say thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, you could consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a star rating and review which would be great for us. And if you listen on Spotify, you could leave us a star rating uh, on Spotify. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at LongballFootball and we always love getting involved in you guys' conversations. So send us a message, drop us a comment. uh, Let's have a chat. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yes, you actually